0: Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Hey Amen. You know, just as I was listening to the words of that song, I am uh, just reminded of how good our God is and his mercy and his grace uh, that is so undeserving that he has poured out and lavished it on us that we might become sons and daughters of God, that we might be his children. So grateful for you being here this morning. So grateful for the privilege and blessing of being able uh, just to worship together this morning. And uh, as we uh, open up God's word today, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. You know, I think about just this reality, you know, we've been encouraging and hoping to equip the body of Christ to be able to share uh, the good news of the gospel, to be able to share our story. I appreciate Tim doing that and uh, would love to connect with you. We plan to do uh, some more recordings of This Is My Story and those moments where folks can share uh, just of God's goodness and his uh, grace in our life. And so we want to continue to be doing that. We're in the midst of a Uh, sermon series that we really kicked off last week, and we've been looking at just this thought of surviving the wild for a season, and and we said last week that we really, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we are not simply just to survive in the midst of this broken world, uh, but that we are to thrive, and that we are uh, to be people that are thriving in the midst of even the brokenness around us. And so this word thrive simply means to flourish, Uh, it means to grow vigorously, and some of you have young children, and when you think about this word thriving or you think about this thought of growth, you think about your kids growing, right? And I, I think about my children, and I look back, and I hear parents talk all the time, and we're, we're like, man, our kids are growing so fast. Uh, many of you may have a uh, measuring place in your home where maybe you've got a ruler or maybe you've got, we, we would take door jams. Uh, a door jamb in our house in Grant's room, and we would mark on that door jamb, and so we would measure these increments of growth. And so you'll see uh, at the bottom here when when Grant was a little smaller, evidently he had one little spelling issue there, or maybe started a little a little bigger, and uh, and so you kind of see that marked out. And then uh, moving on up, uh, you kind of see different uh, things along the way. And those marks mean something, right? They're different uh, points of time in their life. They're different points of time in our life and they signify different growth. Now uh, on the right hand side was, this is in Hope's room and there's a a little mark there and her name's there. And then on the top, it's a little bit hard to read, but on that one, it says 48 inches. And then it says ride all rides, right? So that's like a significant moment. (laughs) So like, you know, when I get this big, like as soon as I'm that big, I can ride all the rides at Dollywood. I can do all these kind of things. And so there's this moment throughout our life, right? We measure our growth. Sometimes we go to see the pediatrician and the pediatrician will have these little charts, right? And then even as you get older, they've got these little charts. I've got one on the screen that I wasn't offended by until later um, this, or until earlier this morning. Now this is a... <laughs> you all already laughing. I haven't even, this is terrible. So. So right, and, and so you go to the doctor, right? And when we take our kids in there, you've got a little book they fill out and they'll ask them these questions and it'll say, well, you're this age and so you should be able to do this and this. Can you write? Can you say your name? Can you, you know, what can you do? Can you stand on one foot? Can you do, and we're testing all these things about our growth. And then as you get older, you know, they'll have a, a little chart that references height and then it'll tell you how much you're supposed to weigh. And I was thinking this morning, I was like, why do they have eight foot on there? And I think the reason is, is because I'd have to be eight feet tall to weigh what I do and be in the green zone, right? So um, I'm not sure that that's uh, nice of them to do that. But that's, that's kind of what I thought about this morning. But there's these charts that kind of measure our growth. And, and then there's this thought that there's this point, and, and on the little charts we showed earlier, there's this thought that, you know, we kind of stopped measuring some of that. We've gotten a little less frequent in how often we measure. Some of you, how many people had a kid that maybe you measured And they marked their little thing on the wall. And then like the next day, they said, can we see if I've grown anymore? Anybody ever done that? Like a day later, like we think about those kind of things. It's like we want growth to be instantaneous. We want those kind of things, but we see over time the way that we grow, the way that we mature. And and as adults, we kind of get to a stop that we don't measure anymore, right? Because physically, we stop growing. But we should never stop growing spiritually. So we think about this thought of thriving in the wild. There's this reality that through the power of Christ in us, right, that not, uh, but that we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, right, that we learn more about him, that we grow, that when the the day that we surrender our life to Christ and we are born again, uh, we uh, begin a journey, right, and we're not there yet uh, positionally. We place our faith and trust in Jesus. And when we surrender our lives, when God saves us positionally, we're made right with God. And then practically, we see this truth that he who began a good work in us will see it through until the day of completion in Christ Jesus. And so there's this growth that God is doing as we engage in his word and as we uh, fellowship with him, as we spend time with the father, we live our life out of uh, obedience and out of an overflow of that, we are growing and we're beginning to look more and more like him. But we can stop growing spiritually when we stop pursuing the heart of God. And so we're going to look at this Old Testament prophet. We're going to look at Jonah today. And we're going to see some things that maybe we can learn not to do. Or maybe some things we can see in the story of Jonah that maybe we haven't seen before. Uh, We're going to open up God's word to the book of Jonah. And this is one of uh, 14 uh, books in the Old Testament that in the Hebrew it begins with the word and which is just a neat um, Just a neat little bit of information, but it reminds me that the grace and goodness of God is continuing on and on and that he is working we, we would see uh, this prophet Jonah who we find in the scriptures uh, and We see him prophesying to uh, the northern kingdom uh, we see him in Second uh, Kings chapter 14. I believe it's verse 25. You'll see Uh, some things about Jonah. And so what we see is this was a real person in a real time, in a real place, right? Some people say, you know what? I struggle with that story of Jonah thing, right? Um, Because like when we think about Jonah, we think about the big fish or we think about Jonah and people might say the whale. And some people are saying, I don't know, you know, it seems a little bit, um, you know, just hard for me to get my mind around. And like nowhere in scripture do we find this to be pointed at as a parable. We find this as, uh, as history. We find this as something that, uh, that Jesus spoke of, we find uh, that Jonah was a prophet in the time of uh, Jeroboam the second's reign, and so we find him a prophet in a time when Israel uh, was was flourishing in in some ways. Right, they had uh, monetary things. Right, it was a prosperous time, uh, but we find it to be a time where the people's hearts were uh, were, were being drawn away from God. We find it uh, in a a time where this Jeroboam the second, where he's not a good king. Right, we. We see that he's leading these people into apostasy. We see maybe 100 years later that, uh, that they're going to be uh, captured by the Assyrians. We're going to see this kind of uh, dynamic, right? The hearts of the people have decayed. We'd see uh, in Hosea and, and Amos. We'd see things about uh, this time. But we see uh, just this reality of this time that we uh, are looking at. And here's Jonah. And instead of uh, like uh, Hosea or like Amos, instead of... Uh, being called by God to uh, to speak to the people of Israel in this time, God gives him another assignment. And it's a difficult assignment. And we're going to see how he responds. And in verse 1 of Jonah chapter 1, we see this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. And, and so I want to pause there just in this, this reality. But we're seeing who this is. We see that he has been given a... Uh, a job by God. He's been given a command, right? He's been given this imperative. In verse two, it says, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. And so when we hear these kind of words, we expect the prophet of God when he is given the commandment of God for him to be obedient. That's what we should expect for followers of Jesus Christ, right? We should see uh, that followers of Jesus Christ hear the word of God and we obey the word of God. But what we see in this passage is that there's this command to go to Nineveh. Now, I want to remind you that that, that this city of Nineveh, this great city, that it is a wicked city that is beyond uh, anything that we could imagine. In uh, in Nahum uh, chapter 3, I'm gonna read you just a little bit of some description. You won't see these verses on the screen, uh, but here's some things that describe it. It says, woe to the bloody city, completely full of lies and pillage. Her prey never departs, the noise of the whip, the noise of the rattling wheel, galloping horses and bouncing chariots, horsemen's charging, swords flashing, spears gleaning, many slain, masses of corpses, countless dead bodies. It says they stumble over the dead bodies, and it goes on, and we would see uh, the, the description of, uh, of just the wickedness of this city, and at the very end of this chapter, it says, there is no relief for your breakdown. Your wound is incurable. All who hear about you will clap their hands over you. So he says, There's, when you fall, like, people are going to rejoice because they know of the evil, right? Of whom has your evil not passed continually is the way the scripture words. and so this is an evil Place. It's a wicked place. And we see Jonah's response in verse 3, that Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish and paid the fare. And he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So God gives Jonah a command, and he goes the other way. Now, perhaps Jonah thinks that this city is too far gone, that it's too wicked, that it's too evil, that there's, there's too many things that are there. But in chapter 3, we read and we understand right, that, that Jonah did not want them to repent, that he had a fear that they would turn and repent and follow uh, the Lord. And so we see this, this cruelness, and perhaps maybe Jonah doesn't care about these people. They're so evil, they're so wicked that he does not desire Uh, even to see them respond to God's goodness, right? And to respond to this message that God desires him to proclaim. So we see Jonah here and he's not thriving in this moment. And so in in, in opposite of that, we see that God's people thrive when they're obedient to his word. So we've got to say yes, where Jonah says no. But I want to, point out something else in this story. And I brought an oar uh, here just as a, a little little visual illustration, a little paddle here. And, and I want to remind you that every time God is giving us his command to go, and any time that we are seeing the command of God, there's always a boat at Joppa. There's always a boat at Joppa. And the fact that there was a ship waiting did not mean that God was in approval of his disobedience, right? We sometimes think about, you know, people say, well, God told me to do this, but I went the other way. And I know God's word says this about marriage. I know God's word says this about my life, but I'm going the other way. And when I did, everything just seemed so convenient. All these things were already lined out. Uh, As soon as I went this direction. And I want to remind you that your adversary, the devil, loves nothing more than to steal, kill, and to destroy. And there's always going to be a boat that he has set up that will feed the desires of your flesh. There's always going uh, to be a boat that's set up. He desires to tempt. He desires to place things in front of us. And and there's so many people that we can get in the midst of this thing. We're disobedient to God. And somehow we feel like, well, God must be okay with my disobedience because he's made things easy for me in this mix. But the reality is that God's not making things easy for you in that, and I'm going to remind you that we'll see in the book of Jonah that we won't outrun our great and mighty God, right? That God is, is working in the midst, but Satan has this boat ready. There's a boat at Joppa going the other way, and the lie of the enemy would say that if you'll get on that boat, that these things that I have for you, that the, the, the desires of your flesh, if you'll walk in those, and the, the, the sin that you can find in that, that you're going to find something that will, uh, that will be better than what God has called you to. He says, hey, if you'll just trade those things right there's there's this thought that what God has for us is not as good as the boat at Joppa verse 4 and 5 we see these words the scripture says the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up and then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God. You've heard the saying that there's no atheists in foxholes and the term that's used for God is the most general uh, term for God that we would see in the scriptures. It's this universal kind of term uh, for God that they're using. And he says they began to be afraid. And every man cried to his God. And you see these sailors, they begin to throw uh, their cargo into the sea. They begin to throw all of these things that are in the ship so that, so that will lighten the boat so that somehow maybe they can survive. But what we see in this, again, we see Jonah going down and we see that Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship. He had laid down and he had fallen asleep. Man, he continues to go down, right? We see in Verse three, he went down to Joppa. Now he's down in the bottom uh, of the boat, right? The scripture says that he paid the fare so that he could be on this ship to Tarshish, right? And I wanna remind you that the ship going the other way, that it's gonna always cost you more than you want to pay. There's a a cost for that boat, right? There's There's a price that we pay. It promises pleasure, but it results in pain. And every single day, Followers of Jesus Christ are tempted to trade our future, to trade God's plan for a boat leaving. Joppa to take. Uh, there's a boat every morning, right? We know that we are to fellowship with God. We know that we're to be in His Word. We know uh, that we live out of an overflow of relationship with the Father. But every morning, right? There's a boat to Joppa on social media that you can get on instead of being in God's Word. There's a there's a boat to Joppa on Instagram. There's a boat to Joppa in relationships. There's a boat uh, ready to destroy marriages in this room. By the way, uh, marriage is a gift of God, right? And there's a boat to Joppa that's ready to destroy every family. Uh, in this room, right? A a boat that that promises young people that, hey, you know what? If you'll trade me your purity, then I'll give you popularity. If you'll trade me your convictions, I'll give you a good grade, right? If you'll cheat, if you'll walk in these kind of things, then you'll be able to have all these things that you want. But I want you to understand the boat to Joppa always costs you more than you want to pay. Warren Wiersbe says that this disobedience, that it always spirals downward, that it always leads downward. And here Jonah is in the the bottom of this boat, right? He's gone down in this boat and he is asleep, right? And we, I wonder like, was this, was this prophet discouraged and depressed in these moments? And he's he's trying to hide and he's trying to run and he's found himself with no joy. And, and I'm gonna tell you something. We will find happiness in moments because sin for a season brings pleasure. But but I promise that it ends in destruction and it ends in in, in just this uh, this reality. And here's Jonah, right? He's running from God. He finds himself asleep in the bottom of, This boat. So the captain approached him, right? And can I remind you that not only does our disobedience affect us, it affects those around us. We saw those sailors throwing the cargo over. So the captain approached him in verse 6. We see him saying this, how is it that you're sleeping? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish how is it that you're sleeping? He says, listen, the world around us, he says, do you not know what's going on on this ship? How is it that you're sleeping? Shouldn't you be doing something, right? And I believe that there's a world that's looking at the church of Jesus Christ and saying, how in the world, in the midst of all this brokenness, are you not doing anything about that, right? James says pure and undefiled religion is this, that we would uh, look after widows and orphans in their distress, and that we would keep ourselves unspotted from this world, right? And there's a world that's hungry, and there are people uh, that, that are without, and there are things all around us, right? And it's easy for us to say, you know what, I'm just going to keep going down, 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 and I'm going to go into a different direction, and I'm not going to go where God has called me. Wiersbe says this, he says, disobedience always leads downward, but note that often things seem to work out even for a backslidden believer. So kind of that same principle, right? It all, when the convenience doesn't indicate the approval of God. He says, for the ship that was waiting for him, for the ship was waiting for him, and he had money to pay the fare, he was so at peace that he was even able to go to sleep in the storm. But there's something dangerous when we are so far from God's presence in his heart that, that we find peace outside of him. And peace outside of prayer and obedience is false peace. It's false peace. Maybe Jonah had gotten to this place. He's like, you know what? I'm away from all this and there's a, Peace in those moments. But if it's outside of prayer and obedience, it is not the peace that we desire. Verse seven, each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And, and so in, in this Near East time and this culture, uh, we would see the casting of lots, and so they would have maybe two pebbles or two stones, and and on one side of those it would be colored in a a black or a dark, and on the other side, uh, white. And so they would uh, take people one by one, and they would cast these lots. And if both of the uh, the black side came up, they would say that it's not. If if the one side came up one black, and one white, they say, hey, we probably need to do this again. Both sides come up white, they say, okay, yes, this is him. And so God, and there's no, by the way, no uh, scripture. Uh, evidence or, or any scripture that would point to us continuing to do that type of thing. We have the word of God and the spirit of God uh, that gives us uh, direction and guidance, but we see God in his sovereignty, even in the midst of this method. And, and Jonah is revealed through that to them, right? And so then they say to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamity Struck us So uh, in this setting, I believe Jonah's come out from the bottom of the boat. He's there with this casting of lots and then all of a sudden it falls on him and they're looking at him and said, tell us who in the world you are. Who is it? On whose account is all this happening in our life? What's your occupation? Where uh, is your country? Where did you come from? What is the story that's going on in your life? From what people are you? And here's the response of Jonah. He says in verse nine, he says to them, I'm Hebrew (laughs) and isn't this just crazy? To hear, like these words coming out of his mouth, the irony in this, the the hypocrisy in the words that he's saying. He says to them, "I am Hebrew," and there's this general description of who he is. Right? He says, "I'm Hebrew," and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And so, up to this point, we, as we see uh, these pagan sailors, as we see them begin to um, say, you know, hey, we're calling on God, we see them use the term Elohim. And so there's this, perspective there. And he says, but I fear uh, the Lord God, right? Elohim, Yahweh Elohim. He says, I fear uh, this this covenant God, right? The the God that reveals himself to people, right? The, The name of this faithful promise keeping God, we see him declare the God that is transcendent, that's above everything, but yet is imminent and near with us. The one who made all the sea and all the dry land, the one who spoke this very world into existence. And we get this picture. It's almost cliche. It's like, who are you and where do you come from? And it's the perspective of those in America, the, the number of people that would say, hey, you know what? I am a Christian. And just use that general term. It's that kind of term. Uh, as Hugh shared in his testimony, he said, you know, when I, I had that opportunity, right, You, what, what's your religious affiliation? And he said, you know, there's these boxes like Christian, you know, Catholic. And he said, well, I check Christian. He said, that was what fit that box. And it's almost that perspective. Mark Yarbrough, who um, I read some things on in the book of Jonah said this. It's like someone today saying, I am a Christian and I go to church on Christmas and Easter. Something that's assumed of a believer, but Jonah's claim is found wanting. Why? Because Jonah's actions have nullified his words. He is a hypocrite of the first order. He is a prophet who claims one thing, but does another. Right, and if you look at just responses of people when they talk about Christians or when they look at the church, one of the things that you would hear, right, is hypocrisy. One of the things that people want to call out in the reality is, right, that none of us are perfect, right? But there should be a consistency in our life from the words that come out of our lips when we say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ to the walk that we have. As the great theologian, Rick Flair, uh, would say uh, something like this, right? If you're gonna walk the walk, talk, he said, if you're going to talk the talk, you better be able to walk the walk, right? And so there's that kind of thought, right? That as we follow Jesus, that our lips and our lives should match. And at God's people, we thrive when our walk matches our Talk and when our Saturday night matches our Sunday morning, when we have been changed by Christ and every aspect of our life is different. As, as Tim said, the things that we used to like, right? Those aren't the things that we like anymore. Scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, right? That old things have passed away. And behold, all things become new, right? In consistent lives, it's evidence of the conversion that's taken place in our lives, that we've been born from above, that God has saved us and that he's changing us and he's growing us. Verse 10, It says these men became extremely frightened, so they are scared to death in uh, this moment. And they're looking at him. This is, I mean, it's crazy for them to think that he would respond, that this prophet of God would mean this, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them, so they said to him, "What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? for the sea was becoming increasingly stormy, so this is the greatest storm that they have ever seen and Jonah says to them, "Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you." However, the men, they rowed desperately right they 're doing everything that they can to return to land they 're doing everything that they can because The sea, they're accomplishing nothing, right? Because the sea is coming stronger and stronger. It's stormier uh, against them, right? And, and, And we see this picture, right? They are scared to death. They're trying to do anything that they have. And they don't want to throw Jonah in. They've got more compassion. Isn't it crazy that these people have more compassion than Jonah does for the people of Nineveh, right? That we see that, just that crazy picture. And it says, then they called on the Lord. Verse 14, we earnestly pray, Oh, Lord, and this is where things get good because a lot of times you've heard as a kid that somehow this story is about Jonah and a big fish. But I want to tell you something. It is about the greatest God. It is about our great and mighty God, the one true God. It, it is about Yahweh and his revealing of himself. And it's about his compassion for all the nations, it's his compassion even for these sailors. And look at these words. It says, they called on the Lord Lord, and said, we earnestly pray. Oh Lord, and the wording, right? All of a sudden, they've been using this generic term for God, and all of a sudden, they say, We call on Yahweh. We are calling, we earnestly pray. To the one true God, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. Right? They call on Yahweh. They've changed uh, their, their tune, right? There's, there's this reality that they have come to believe in Yahweh. They are calling on Yahweh. And so they pick up Jonah, verse 15, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped. It's raging. Take yourself to that moment right there they throw Jonah into the sea. The storms are crashing in. All these things are happening. And all of a sudden, everything is calm. Everything is peace. Everything is still. how do you think they viewed Yahweh, right? The, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How do you think they viewed these moments? And look at what these sailors, what it says about them. It says, then the men feared the Lord. Greatly, And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They turned from this wild ride that they are on into a time of worship to the one true God. They began to worship Yahweh, what Jonah should have been doing all along. Can I tell you something? Our, our greatest ride. Worship to God is is in our surrender and in our obedience to Him. It is this this worship to God that we trust Him with our lives. And there's great news in this passage, right? There is great news that our God is working in the midst of the storm, right? If you find yourself, and, and some people would say, you know, this morning that maybe your situation, and you look at your past and you think about your life, and there are things that have happened as a result of the effect of the sin of other people in your life. You see uh, the, the disobedience of other people and things that may have happened to you growing up and things uh, that may have happened to you because of a disobedient spouse. And maybe you find yourself in the midst of brokenness because of disobedience and because of those things that are happening uh, around you. Maybe you find yourself in that kind of place. But what we see in this passage is that God is at work in the midst of the storm and he has compassion for those that are affected in the storm. These sailors. They've been tossing cargo. They've been tossing things that were probably very precious to them. They've been in the midst of this storm, and they're just there in the midst of it, and their their things are being thrown over, all these things that are there. But in the midst of that, we have a God who has compassion for them in the midst of the storm. His compassion for the sailors. We see just this beauty of how God is at work, even in the midst of the brokenness, how God is doing something incredible in the midst of the storm. And we see that impact, right? And we read in Acts 10 how Peter met a man from where? Joppa, right, named Cornelius, right? Can you see the beauty of some of this? We see Paul in his missionary journeys that he makes it all the way to Spain, that he makes it to Tarshish. And when he gets there, he found some new believers, right? And maybe he finds them because of these sailors. And we see in the midst of the brokenness of this life, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the hurt, that we have a God who loves you, a God who is compassionate, and a God who is working in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the brokenness, right? And God is. Ah! <sighs> work and I can imagine that in the lives of these sailors right? they had tossed all these things over they had gotten rid of all these things and I think about the apostle Paul and how in Philippians he was reflecting on his life and all of his accomplishments and all of his achievements and Paul says I consider all of this rubbish right he said I consider all of this every achievement everything that's good all of it rubbish in light of knowing Jesus in light of knowing our God and here we see these sailors been introduced to Yahweh and we see in the midst of this broken world that there is a God that is pursuing, that we have a God that who is at work, who has compassion for the broken and who takes the heartache and the hurt, the difficulty and the pain, the hurt that's caused by the sinfulness of those around us in the midst of the broken world. And he takes it and he uses it for the glory of his name. He takes it and he uses it in a way that Meets us right where we are at. I'm reminded in this story that we have a God that meets us at the very bottom. Right? A God that meets us when we are at the lowest of the lows. We have a God of second chances. We have a God who continues to pursue. A God who is at work in the midst of the storm. And our response in the storm is worship. It is surrender. It is trust in a holy God. And it's, it's an understanding that says, Lord, I don't know all the reasons about every storm that comes. And we see some that God has, in this passage, right, the scripture says that God hurled a storm, right, that he might get this prophet's attention, right? And in the midst of that, there are people that are affected. There are things that are going on, but we see that there's a faithful God at work in the midst. And there are some of those places that are bigger than our minds can comprehend. But what we see is we have a God who is working who never stops. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in this God who has extended compassion, right? Who came down. This God who loved us so much that in the midst of the brokenness that Jesus entered into that brokenness and that he lived a sinless life and that all of our sin and all of our shame and everything and all the the punishment that we deserved was poured out on him. We have a God who loves us, who runs to us through Jesus and gives us the ability to have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe some of you are following Jesus, but you know that he's called you to something. You know that, God's voice has spoken to you and you have a job. You have something that he's called you to and you've been running the other way. I want to remind you that you will never, you'll never run where God will not in his pursuit. Maybe that's you this morning, right? And there's always a boat to Joppa or a boat at Joppa. There's always a boat to Tarshish, right? There's always a boat at Joppa. Maybe you're tempted by that boat right now to walk away from things that are important in your life. Right? Scripture says that there's no temptation with that which is common to man, right? And that God will not allow us to be tempted above what we are able, but with every temptation, we'll make a way of escape. And maybe this morning is your way of escape. Maybe you are on the edge of boarding a ship at Joppa, right? That's gonna cost you more than you wanna pay. That the fare for that ship, man, it promises pleasure, it promises good, promises all those things, but its end is destruction and the, the lives of those around you. Maybe this morning, it's covenant keeping, God, is, is engaging with you. And our response is surrender and obedience. I want to pray with us, and we're going to worship. Father, I pray, God, that this morning, Lord, you would, in the power of your Spirit, God, remind us, Lord, of your faithfulness. Lord, that we can walk in obedience to you, Lord, if we are in Christ not in our own strength, but through the power of Christ in us. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that today would be a day filled with hope, no matter what storms are raging in the lives of people in this room. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded, Lord, that what's over our head is under your feet. Lord, that what, what storms are around us, Lord, that You, uh, that even the, the wind and the seas, that they obey you. Lord, that you are over all the storms, Lord, that you are sovereign in the midst of of everything that we are facing, Lord, and that we can trust and know, Lord, that while we don't understand everything about the storms we face, Lord, we know, God, that you are trustworthy, God, that you are faithful. And Lord, we trust you in the midst of the storm. God, we know that you are working. And Lord, we pray, God, if there's someone in this room that's never trusted you for salvation, Lord, that's never been to a place in their life where they've repented of their sin and surrendered their life to you. God, I pray, Lord, that in the power of your spirit, you might draw them uh, this morning, Lord, that they might surrender their very lives to you. Lord, whether it be in the midst of the storms of their life or in, the, you know, or in the peaks of a mountain, Lord, I pray, God, that you would engage us where we're at this morning. And Lord, that you would call us to repentance and, and surrender. And Lord, that we might respond like those sailors. Lord, we see them offering sacrifice. We see them making vows, us. we see them responding, Lord, to the goodness of of your grace and mercy. And Lord, may we be found in that response. Lord, worshiping you, Lord, in surrender of our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and be obedient this morning if God speaks to your heart?